This summer, we are reading through and studying um, the letter of 1 Peter in its entirety. And so today, we come to a pretty important part of the letter. And um, so up, up until this point, Peter's been doing several things. He's been kind of speaking identity over the people that he's writing to, the, the Christians in the first century who would have been the original recipients of this. He's reminding them who they are in God's eyes. You know, he's doing this uh, thing in the first part of the letter where he's, he's really just kind of giving his heart to these um, brothers and sisters who are scattered all over what is modern-day Turkey, and he's just reminding them, hey, I see the, the hard stuff that you're going through. And, and as your brother, you know, who's not in the, right in the midst of it, I, I see it and I care about it and my heart is going out to you, and, and, and Jesus um, wants you to know that he just sees you, and that he loves you, and then I see you, and I love you as your brother here, and, and, uh, and, and Peter does this thing where he's just like really just letting the people see his compassion. So Andrew, if you're here with us last week, you walked us through so well how griefs and trials and persecution, how they have this way of, of really shaping us in the pe- as a people of God, that as things that we don't want, as we don't go looking for, but as they come into our lives, how they tend to just refine us and, and make us more like Jesus. And so today, the, the shift that kind of happens in his letter is that up until this point in the letter, everything that Peter's talking about is, is kind of reactive. As Christians, it's like, hey, as, as things come into your life, this is the way that the followers of Jesus, this is the way that they respond. And, and today, things start to shift because Peter's not asking us to embrace this reactive posture, but this active posture. You know, and the reality is as, as Christians, um, we can, if we're not careful, Make Christianity, making following Jesus into something less than the fullness of what God desires for us. So here's what I, here's what I mean, that we can kind of take this reactive posture where we just kind of sit back and we become maybe even lazy spiritually. And we wait for these hard things to, to come into our lives. And then when those things come into our lives, that's when we press into the Lord. Like we're kind of on autopilot, we're kind of doing our own thing. And then, man, something hard happens um, you get divorced or someone in your life that you love gets divorced or someone dies that you care about <clears throat> or you lose a job or you lose a friend. And in these moments that, that really test us, that put us in the water, they so often tend to, to draw us back in this place of fellowship with Jesus to make us become like him. And those things are amazing. Like not those activities, but, but all of us know if you ever went through something hard that, that you look on the other side and you're like, man, God did something in my life. But if we're not careful, what will happen as Christians is we'll sit back and we'll just wait for hard things to come to us. And Peter says, hey, as, I, I don't want you just sitting around waiting for hard things. Like if you're waiting for the hard things to come in your life to be formed in the image of Jesus, you're missing half of what it means to follow Jesus. And he says, I don't want you just to be reactive. I want you to be active as a people of God. And, and I think you see this in, in the, the very first verse that we're gonna be in that Nick just read. And so he says, hey, therefore with minds that are fully alert. If you get into the original translation in, in, um, in the first century, we miss out on some of the rich imagery that, that they would have picked up on. And so literally the, what is written in the Greek is, hey, gird up the loins of your minds. Gird up the loins of your mind. And we read that and we're like, man, I'm glad that's not what was in my Bible because that's a weird phrase, right? And, but to them, it, it would have spoken in some really deep ways. You see, in their culture, um, robes were the, the skinny jeans of the day, right? People wore robes. And, and, and so, so often what would happen is they would, they would hike up their robes. And Cyrus said, like, they'd kind of tie it around your waist like a, like a diaper, not for the function of a diaper, but kind of had the same look. And, and people would do this and, and they would do this so that they could run, so they could be active. And so in the first century, when 
Christians would have heard this, hey, gird up the loins of your minds, they would have realized, oh, he's calling us into action. He's calling us to, to, to pull up the robes and to, to be ready to move, to be mobile, to be responsive. And I think that's so powerful because I think what Peter's wanting us to understand is that as followers of Jesus, we take up this reactive posture, but we also take up this active posture. And I wanna just kind of unpack some of the the activation that I think Peter is getting at. And so I'm not going to go through this verse by verse today. There's a lot that is in here and we're going to spend some time in communion and hopefully throughout the rest of the week, you can keep wrestling with this with the Holy Spirit. But I want to just point out a couple things in this text that I think might be helpful for us as a community, knowing that I'm not going to fully expand on everything this morning, but, but I trust the spirit of God at work in you. And so the first thing that I want us to kind of see in this text is uh, the centrality of Jesus and what God has done through him for us. First thing I want us to think about this morning, spend some time looking at is the centrality of Jesus and what God has done through him for us. We have to start with Jesus. We have to start with Jesus. We have to grasp Jesus on our heart level. We have to understand the the goodness of the gospel and what Christ has done for us. And I know that my tendency, and maybe this is yours, is that so often we want to jump into the behaviors. We want to jump into the commands. Okay, yeah, but what is it that God has for me? What is it that he's calling us to be active to? And, and I think that if we get those things out of order, if we jump right into the commands, if we jump right into to the activity, we, we miss out on the heart. And you see, the thing that Jesus was always after is, is a heart. Because he understands that when he motivates and he grabs our hearts, the, the behaviors and the, and the commands, man, that, that we find motivation to follow them. Does that make sense? And so I, I want us to understand this, that, that, that if we don't have Jesus as our foundation, like if Jesus is not the foundation of our lives personally, if he's not the foundation of our church, then things are gonna be unstable for us. We're constantly gonna be tossed back and forth by culture. We're constantly gonna be tossed back and forth by our feelings, man. But when Christ is a foundation, he is solid, he's firm, he is secure, and our lives find stability. And I'm in the middle of building, I say in the middle, I'm in the middle of planning to build a tree house for my kids. And the reason I say I'm in the middle of planning is because I need my dad there to do it. And, and uh, he's, a, he's a, you know, contractor, if you will. I'm not paying him. So he's just going to come and do it for free. But, um, you know, he's, he's been talking about the, the most important part is just getting started, right? And David, you probably know this, right? As a contractor yourself, that, that you, you, the, the, the foundation is the most important part. If the, if the foundation isn't secure, if the foundation isn't stable, then, then everything else, like I don't want my kids up there playing. I don't want up there be up there myself. You want it to be strong and secure. And so for us to understand that the foundation of Jesus in our lives has to be the most secure and stable thing. And I want us to just look at Jesus, the centrality of who he is and what God has done for us through him just for a minute. And so I love this verse and that, that, that I think is very important that I want us to see in verse 20. He says this, that he was chosen before the creation of the world. Before anything was created. You know, there was a time, if you go back and read Genesis chapter one, there was a time that there was nothing in this world but the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And before anything was created, before the grass, before the seas, before the animals, before you and I, God knew that Jesus would have to come. Now think about that. The reality is everything we get into in life is not like this. That there is no way for us to know the outcome from the onset, right? You get into a career, you get into a relationship, you have kids, and and what you find is that, man, once you're in, you will sacrifice 
He'll do whatever it takes for this thing that has grabbed your affection, this thing that has grabbed your heart. But the reality is that, that you have no idea from the onset to know the, the things that are gonna come your way. And so for those of you who, man, you, you got into this career and you find yourself traveling and you find yourself in meetings and you're enduring all these things, not because you love the things, but because you love the career and you're going, man, I don't know if I would have got into all this had I known how hard this was. Right, and it's impossible for you to know how things are gonna play out from the beginning. I think about my friend Stan, and I don't know if you saw the, the email that was sent out this week. You know, Stan Feener, uh, he's been a friend of my wife and I for five years now. His wife just passed away last Sunday. She wrestled with early onset dementia for five years, and she took her last breath last Sunday. And there's no way that Stan, there's no way that Phyllis would have known getting into it, how this was gonna play out. And he wouldn't have chosen any other path, right? It's not like he'd go, man, if, if I would have known this would happen, I wouldn't have married her. No, that's not his heart at all. But the reality is that, that everything in life, we just, we respond to it. And yet we see something different in the Father. He knew that we would rebel against him. It's like the moment he created you, Logan, he knew you would rebel against him. He created you anyway. That's crazy. And Lauren, the, the moment you were created, he knew you would run away from him. And Josh, and Laura, and all of us, he knew that we would choose independence over dependence. He knew that we would try to save ourselves, that we would try to, to build our lives upon the things that we want, the things that we desire. And from the very beginning, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they chose to create us knowing that we would rebel, knowing what we would do to Jesus. My oldest, Finley, um, she's starting school in the fall, kindergarten. And I'm telling you, if, if you told me that, that she would be treated like Jesus. Think about his crucifixion. You think about all that he went through, people spitting on him and mocking him and hating him. And I'm going, man, if, if you were to tell me, hey, that's what Finley's getting into as she starts school, I promise I'm not sending her. <laughs> and yet we see in this text the deep love of God, the deep investment of God in us from the very beginning. This Jesus in verse 20, he has redeemed us because his blood on the cross was shed. This Jesus in verse 21, he's not just buried in a tomb somewhere. This Jesus was raised from the dead three days later. This Jesus is coming back for us in verse 13. This is so beautiful to give us grace. We're gonna talk about this at the very end, but this idea of, of what we didn't earn, what we can never deserve, what we can never do enough to work for. And I want us to understand that, that, that we have to understand this Jesus. And if we try to skip over Jesus and go straight to the action, we will miss out on the heart, miss out on the thing that which motivates us to want to lay down our lives, to cling to this Jesus. First thing I want us to understand is the centrality of Jesus, what God has done through him for us. The second thing I want us to understand is that in this text, we understand that we see someone in Jesus worth pattering our lives after that we see in Jesus someone worth pattering our lives after. You know, who is someone in your life that you wanna be like? You know, Parker, you think about who, who's someone in your life that you wanna be like and why? It's Holly, who's someone you wanna be like and, and why? And we all have these people ask you that question. Who do you wanna be like and why? 
Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it's a boss. Think about my youth pastor and his wife growing up, Nick and Meredith. And I looked at the way that they loved each other, the way that they loved the Lord, the way that they loved me, the way that they were willing to, to have hard conversations with me, the way that they were willing to sit me down and to call me to more. I could think about the, the investment that they had in my life, how they would come over and, that, and that they would just pour into me. And Nick would come over and we would ride four-wheelers. He'd come to all my games. And, and, and I looked at his life and I looked at his marriage and I looked at the, the things that he chose to do and the things that he chose not to do. And I, worth, I realized, man, there's something about his life that is worth imitating. You see, when we start to understand this Jesus, when we encounter this Jesus, we find in this Jesus this desire that we wanna be just like him. So he'll say things like this in verse 14 through his servant Peter, hey, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And so this idea of, of holiness is so much more than just avoiding sin. It's this idea of living righteously, living in a way that brings honor and delight to God most high. And as you read through the scriptures, what you see is that this is how God has always lived. This is how Christ lived when, when he was on earth. And I'm becoming more and more aware of as one of Jesus' followers that the way that God lives himself and the way that God tells us to live is actually the best way to live. And there are things that God has chosen to not do from the very beginning. And he says through Jesus, hey, hey, don't do these things because I don't do them because they're not good for you. And so he says this, hey, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And I don't know about you, but when you hear that word in ignorance, it's like, man, that's pretty insulting. What are you saying there? And he's not trying to insult us. He's trying to help us understand, hey, don't go back to the way of life, the way of thinking. Before you knew Jesus, that's all he's talking about, ignorance. Life before Christ. When you didn't know what God was like. You know, think about JD, think about what life was like for you before you encountered Christ. We follow every impulse, right, Adrian? Always promising, never able to deliver constantly grabbing for things that satisfy us and never finding it. And he says, hey, don't go back. Don't slip back into those sinful patterns. And he unpacks some of these things. In verse one, he says, hey, don't, don't harbor malice in your heart. He said, this, is, this idea of, of malice is wickedness. He says, don't be deceitful. You know, in Revelation chapter 21, John, one of the apostles of Jesus, he says this, that he documents, this is what Jesus says. He says that those who lie, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. He says, don't be the type of person that, that is constantly just uh, speaking things that aren't untruthful. Don't give off this portrayal of, of things being one way when they're not. He says, as Christians, hey, don't try to mask and hide things. Don't be deceitful. He keeps going on. Don't be hypocritical. 
He's like, don't, don't live one way in, in around one group of people. Don't tell a certain type of joke and, and don't do a certain type of thing when you're around one group of people and to be a completely different person when you're around another group of people. He says, don't be envious. Don't look at what other people have and, and want their things. Their career or their money or their relationship or their car or their dog or whatever it is. Don't be envious. Don't slander. He says, don't use your words to tear people down. How often we find ourselves in situations where we do that. And he says all these things. Hey, don't do these things because I don't do these things. Because this is not how Christ chose to live. This is not how God has lived from the very beginning. He's not up in heaven slandering us. Luke, he's not just like, talking to Jesus about how terrible you've been, right? Like he, 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 this is not how he lives. And he says, I want you to be like me. It's the best way to live. This idea of being holy, it, it, this idea of imitating Jesus, it, it, it comes with, with choosing to, to not participate in certain things. And it's not just about not doing things, it's about doing certain things. It says, be holy. It's active. And he talks about several things, I think, about what it means to, to be holy in this passage. I could talk about what he says in verse 22, where he says, hey, love one another deeply from the heart. You know, it's hard to love people that you don't know. And I think God is gonna do something really special in our church family. This group of people. And it extends beyond just coming together and having an amazing experience of worship with God that, that he's teaching us to, to be people that, that love each other from the heart. I wanna invite you this summer. Hey, let's, let's proactively take some steps into to living this out. That this summer, maybe when there's a little bit more daylight, there may be a little bit more flexibility in your life and your schedule. Hey, get to know some of the people in this room. Don't just wait for someone to invite you to coffee or invite you over for dinner. Invite people into your life. Cook for them. Get to know them. Get to know the things that, that, that their heart beats for. Get to know the, the places that they are strong. Get to know their gifts. Get to know the things that they want to do in this life for the Lord. And, and, and for us to understand that holiness, this idea of living a life that brings delight and glory to God is as simple as loving one another. It's easy stuff. This idea of, of holiness, I think you see this in verse 17 where he says, hey, fear God. Fear God as your father. And we read that and we're like, the brakes come up. We're like, wait, 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 wait. How can we fear God? Like he's such a loving and gracious father. Like there's, there's nothing to fear. But the reality is that all throughout scripture, the one thing that we are called to fear is who? Is God. I don't know if you ever had a moment like this where, where you just are reminded of that, that you are not the creator, that there is one bigger than you. You know, we're coming back, we're traveling back this week, coming back to Nashville. We're just flying this plane up in the sky and I just see these clouds and I'm 
looked at clouds, you know, my whole life. And, and there was something about this moment that I was reminded, oh man, something bigger than me created this cloud. And maybe you've had one of those moments where you've, you know, been hiking in Colorado or you've been, you know, whitewater rafting or, or you've been laying on the beach next to the ocean and you just had this moment where you see the bigness and, and you're reminded, oh, something bigger than me did all this. And it has this way of, of just ordering you, of reminding you that, that you aren't on the throne, reminding you that, that you're not the biggest, that reminds you that there is something named the Lord that is bigger than you and, and he's calling us, hey, Fear this God. Don't fear anything else in life, but fear this God. God's bigger than us and he's stronger than us and he's smarter than us and he's more powerful than us. And, and for us to understand that, that, that a living in relationship with God is having this proper fear, this respect, this awe, this reverence of God. If we're not careful, we'll start to treat God like or equals, or like that God is here to serve us and say, no, that part of what it means to live holy lives is to fear God, to know that he gets the final word, that he is in control, that he is our creator. Part of what it means to be holy, I love he says this in verse two, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. The word crave suggests an intense personal desire of longing for God, of longing for the courts of the Lord. Pure milk, what's he talking about there? He's talking about God's word. He's talking about scripture. I love that you prayed about that, Nick, that you were thanking the Lord for his scripture. He's, he's talking about the Holy Spirit's ability to speak into our lives. He says, crave Crave this pure milk. Crave the words of the Lord. Crave the commands of God. You know, what are the things that, that we crave during the day? What are the things that, that you think about? Think about what you're having for lunch. Think about the NBA finals tonight. Think about your vacation is coming up. If we're not careful, man, all of our cravings that are good things, that are fine things, end up just satisfying us. And he says, hey, crave pure spiritual milk. Be the types of people, be the type of church that, that is hungry for my words. You've had those moments maybe as for those of you who are followers of Jesus, man, where, you, where you've, you've sat down and you've had some time with the Lord and, and the scripture is just so churned and so spoken into your heart, into your existence. You're like, man, why? Why is it so hard for me to get in? Like, I wanna, I wanna be in this all day, every day. Or, 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 or someone has a, a word from you for the Holy Spirit. Or in your prayer time, the Holy Spirit speaks to you and, and you hear a word from God where God shows you that he sees you and that he, he's aware of what you're going through. And that there's something about these experiences with the words of the Lord where we, where we, where we develop this appetite for them. But what happens? What happens to all of us? We start to crave lesser things. We begin to settle. We start to 
get lulled to sleep. And so we read this where he says, hey, crave pure spiritual milk. And we're like, okay, Peter, you got to see Jesus. You got to see miracles. You did miracles. Like you saw the resurrected Jesus. Of course you can say crave pure spiritual milk, but you don't know what that's like for us. And how do we even begin to do that? And I'm just asking this question. We can come at this legalistically. We can come at this like the Pharisees and say, okay, hey, these are the 10 things that you need to do to start craving pure spiritual milk to start being people that, that crave the words and that crave the, the Holy Spirit to speak into your life. Or we can come at it in the lens of grace. The path that Jesus has given us to walk down. And see, think about how, how do you develop cravings? You experience something, you taste something. And then you keep going back to it. Right? You know, Cyrus were teaching meeting on Thursday and he's like, hey, I tasted DeSano's pizza. Why do I eat anything else in life? When you taste something that's good, now some of you are thinking about DeSano's. It's a great lunch option for you, right? <laughs> when you taste something, when you experience something, the way that you develop a craving is by continuing to feed that, to go back to it. And the same is true with God. And sometimes you're gonna have these mountaintop moments, but for us to be people that, that, that prioritize the word of God in our lives, that you put yourselves in places to, to hear the words of God like you're doing this morning, like we're doing this morning. You create space in your life to read. It's like, this is a story of, of God the creator of the heavens and the earth, and you can know. It's his biography. What he's been like, what he cares about, the way he responds to the situation, this is the story of God. It's interesting, I don't know if any of you guys see, saw this. I don't subscribe to GQ, but one of my friends was, was telling me about this article that was just posted in GQ. Douglas is last one. He's like, of course you don't subscribe to GQ. Like we can tell by your attire that you don't subscribe to, to GQ. Um, it said, hey, the 21 books that you shouldn't read. Did any of you guys, did any of you guys come across this? A couple people. 21 books that you shouldn't read. And you know what's on that list? The Bible. And I'm not trying to like throw this author under the, the bus who wrote this. He just has never encountered the Lord before. He's not our enemy. He just hasn't tasted the goodness of the Lord. I don't know if you've ever read this. If you've ever read this from cover to cover and you get to know the God that is in it, you will develop a hunger. It doesn't mean that it's easy. You know, this, this week, it's hard. Sometimes you go through seasons where it's just hard to read the Bible, where it's a struggle and it should be. Everything that is good in life comes with struggle. The easy things in life are the things that don't really last, don't really fade. It's the hard things in life. It's developing a relationship. It's being a person of integrity. It's, it's raising kids. It's being disciplined. These things are hard. And for us to be people that go, man, if we, if we really want to crave pure spiritual makeup, we want to be people that are, are defined by our hunger for God. Take some discipline. And sometimes we have moments like Paul did Acts chapter nine, where you're just going about your business and God just gets a hold of your life. 
And that will happen for some. Maybe that has happened for some of you. But the other part of what God says is, hey, if you will seek me, you will find me. And we come to understand this God. That we can know this God. We can encounter this God. We can live lives that actually delight him and honor him. And it'll change us. And I love the way that Peter started today. This is where I wanted to end. Verse 13, he says, hey, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ comes. You know, how do we, what's the motivation for this craving? What's the motivation for us to want to know this God? Why not just live lives however we want and do what we want and and to let God interrupt our lives with, with hard things to reground us? Man, what is the purpose of, man, it's because Jesus, when you meet him in glory, when you die, And when he comes back and he raises us from the dead and you stand face to face with Jesus, it says that he is coming with his grace for those of you who are clothed in Christ. That he longs to to meet you with grace, what you didn't deserve, what you didn't work for, what you can never earn. You know, there's two different types of anticipating something. One way of anticipating something is like receiving a grade for a test which you weren't prepared for. You remember that feeling when you were maybe in elementary school or maybe it was in college where, where you showed up and your professor, your teacher's like, hey, we're having a test today. And you're like, oh crap. And you take that test and you know that you bomb it. And a few days later, they are passing out the test and you are, you are not eagerly anticipating is not the words that you would use, right? To, to, to get that paper and to go home and have to tell mom and dad that you flunked this test. And that's one way of anticipating things like fearful. The other way of anticipating things It's like when a good friend or someone in your family that you love is coming to visit. You know, my mom, she lives up in Murray. Whenever my kids hear that she is coming, um, pure elation is the way to describe their response. And whenever they hear that my my mom is coming, whenever they they hear that their grand is coming, um, they know that good things are coming their way. Her coming evokes this joyful expectation. And we understand that that one day we will stand face to face with Christ. And he's going to lavish on us his grace. It covers all of our sin. It takes us to be with him forever. When we understand that this Christ, this goodness who has walked with us throughout all of our stumbling and all of our failing and all of our taking our eyes off of him and all the craving other things. And when we realize that he's standing, ready, wanting, willing to bless us with his grace. And we'll spend our lives being hungry for this God, craving this God. I love that he says this in verse three, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now that you've experienced the goodness of the Lord. And we find that that when you experience God, when you hear from God, when you see the goodness of God, you, you want to share this God. And it's not this duty, it's not this obligation to, to invite people to come to worship. And it's not this duty to, to tell people about Jesus. And it's not this, this duty to, to lay down your life in service to this Jesus. When you understand Jesus, you, you willingly lay down these things. And you want people to know him. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. We're gonna take communion here in just a minute. 
We do this every week. We eat a piece of bread and we drink a cup of juice and we do this to remember Jesus. That he's done everything that's necessary for us to be right with God, not just now, but forever. And so we're not, we're trying, we're not trying to earn this righteousness. We're living in this righteousness and living out the righteousness that he's giving to us. And, and I wanna invite us as we take communion. You can take communion by yourself if you need to do that. If you just um, need some space with the Lord, I totally understand. But I wanna invite you to, to take communion with the people that you came with. Or if you're really courageous, invite the people that you don't know around you to take communion with you. And, and, and I wanna invite you to do a couple things in communion. The first thing is, is for those of you who are Christians that, that have tasted the goodness of God in your life, I want you just to testify how you've experienced the goodness of the Lord. And maybe you haven't had a, an inc- incredible moment the past week or the past month, but I want you to span back on your life and think about the times where, where, where God has spoken, where God has answered a prayer, where God has drawn near to you. And in our time of communion, let's remember, let's testify to the good things that God has done for us. And then at the end of our testifying, let's pray, let's thank God for those things. Some of you come here this morning and maybe you're not a follower of Jesus or, or maybe you are a follower of Jesus and you've never experienced his goodness, but you want to. You look at the way that you're living and you go, man, this is not how I wanna live. I, I know that there's something more for me that I want. I encourage you at the, the, in communion to pray this prayer, God, I wanna experience your goodness. Will you help me? And there's something about us coming to communion and, and, and not trying to impress anyone and having no shame, but, but coming just as we are and having the courage to say that. It just has this ability to let the Holy Spirit work. He moves in our honesty. And as we're taking communion, as, as we close up, man, ask that God would help us to gird up our loins to be active this week, to worship him, to prioritize him, to share him, to invite people to come to worship with us next week, to experience the goodness of what it means to live in a community that is deeply devoted to one another in love. Let me pray for us and then we'll go take communion. God, thank you for this morning. I pray that the things that were from you, the things that um, God really spoke into our hearts, Everyone in this room would just acknowledge that that was from you, God. Acknowledge that it was from your Holy Spirit. And they give you the rightful praise that you deserve. Anything that I said that was from my flesh or me trying to connect that wasn't from you, just let those things be forgotten. Let them fall to the ground for I am I'm sinful and I'm, I'm not perfect, Jesus, but I know that you are. I pray that in our communion that you would open our eyes, Jesus, to experience your fullness, that you would draw us to you, that you would let communion be a time where we really do um, experience you. And I pray that this week that, that our lives would be marked by, by an activeness, that we would look for where you were working, God, that we would be eager to advance the kingdom, to take you into all the places that we find ourselves. And so bless this community, God. Bless us as a family trying to live on mission in this neighborhood and in this city. God, we need you. And so pour out your spirit on us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.